Hi everybody, this is the Band Director's Desk Podcast. My name is Joe Radke and today we're going to talk about listening. So stick around. I'm hoping that by the end of this lesson, you'll be a better listener and that'll make you a better player. Hi, welcome to the Band Director's Desk Podcast. My name is Joe Radke, and I am going to talk about listening. And I have to tell you before we start this podcast that this is like the 10th time I've recorded it. Um, I've had all kinds of technical difficulties, but also just trying to find the right sort of length here. Uh, one thing is, is I got a new microphone here, and um, you might have seen in the last um, episode that I had a different, I had a microphone that looked like this, um, but this one here, um, plugs into my audio interface a little bit better and so we'll see if it how it sounds anyway listening can make us better musicians better players better performers um, it also can make us enjoy music more and so we have to figure out first what kind of listening you're doing and i really think there's about three of them the first one is just casual listening you know you're you're working in the house and you've got music on in the background um it's you're not really paying attention to it. You might now and then sing a lyric or dance a little bit, but not the whole time. You're really focused on doing something else. The second kind of listening is sensual listening. And sensual listening is just listening with your senses. When you're listening and you're just feeling the music and you're not really interpreting it or anything like that, you're just letting the music affect you. And uh, it's a great way to listen to music. You might be sitting in a quiet place in your house and uh, reflecting on something and you just have a piece of music you love to listen to that makes you feel a certain way and it's a great way to listen to music and then the third way is the way i really want to talk about and that is perceptive listening perceptive listening is when you know something about the music and that music informs your listening so let's say you're listening to a piece of music and at the first time through you just like the way it sounds and you like the way it feels, and uh, you like maybe the rhythms and the grooves in it or whatever it is, and you just that, that's what attracted you to the music. But what if there was a way that you could take that and make it even more interesting to yourself? Um, that way would come by knowing something about the way the music was created. So one thing you could do is you can find out about the composer. You can just look it up. Not only find out about the composer, but find out there's sometimes there's information written about the piece. So you can read what other musicologists and music historians and, and people have said about the music. But you can also read about the things that were going on when that music was created. Obviously, if you think right now, we're in this COVID-19 crisis at the moment. And so there's going to be a lot of music that comes out that's affected by this crisis. Stuff that was composed in isolation. Stuff that was composed about being in isolation. Uh, maybe things were composed to make us feel better um, when we are in isolation. So um, that this time period will affect the music that's being written right now. We've already seen that on YouTube. On YouTube, you can right now probably find a thousand acapella videos with people playing their own ensembles all by themselves, right? And that big chunk is being created now because all of us musicians are at home with nothing to do but practice. So and if you're not practicing and you're a musician, you should probably pause this video and go practice right now. 
the the next thing to talk about then would be you know you've learned about the composer you've learned about the time period um maybe know something about the music what information does the music have to tell you about the music if you're listening to a symphony, usually the names of each movement tell you a little bit about what you should be listening for. If the name of the first movement is sonata, you know that it's in sonata form. And if you don't know what sonata form is, maybe that's something you could look up and find out about. And if you're really doing that, I would start with Mozart because I think they're the easiest to hear. But most symphonies, if it's called symphony 1, 2, 3, 10, 20, it, is, it usually starts with that form. And if you know about that form, you know how to listen to that music. And why is that important? Because we like predictability. We love it when we hear things and we do things that are predictable. So think about your day. You probably get up and you have a routine you go through. Um, and if part of that routine gets messed up, then it affects the rest of your day. Or if you're driving to wherever you go in the morning, right now, nowhere, but if you're driving to wherever you're going in the morning and you get stuck in a you know, traffic jam or you have to go on a detour or something, sort of messes up your day for a little bit, right? Um, you, we like that structure. We like that routine because it gives us a sense of direction and a sense of um, understanding in our lives. Music does that too. All really good music has some kind of structure to it that we can identify with. Perhaps music that you didn't like when you heard it the first time but is on that list of stuff that people really like. You know, if you ever think about Bach, right? Bach, um, he's, his music is really old, but people still talk about Bach. Chances are you even know who Bach is. Even if you're five and you're listening to this, you probably have heard the word Bach before. Um, and if you haven't, you will, right? And he, I mean, geez, that was a long time ago and we're still talking about him today. So there's gotta be a reason why his music is still relevant today. And so you might check that out and find out well, why, why is it that people really like this music? Well, chances are maybe you don't understand the form of the music. And once you understand that form, the predictability of it, you will like the music more because you'll know what to listen for. Um, the music that you love to listen to. A lot of people love pop music and pop music is predictable. It has a certain kind of pattern that it usually follows. In fact, on the radio, when they play music on the radio, they try to match up those patterns so they don't change too much from one song to the other song. If they wanna put something on the radio that's like brand new, they put it in between two pieces, two, two pieces of music they call sticky songs. Those are songs that when people hear them, they tend to stay on the radio and they know what those are. So they'll take the sticky song, then they'll play the new song that might have new ideas that people aren't used to and then after it will be a sticky song. And the hope is, is that you'll stay through the whole sticky song, you'll accidentally hear the new song, and then, um, you know, then you get to the next sticky song to make it stay around. And they sandwich them in between those two pieces that hopefully are kind of similar to get you to stay. So that's how predictability works in our minds, and we really gotta pay attention to that when we're learning new music. All right, so, you've learned about the composer, you've learned about the time period, you've learned about the forms. You might even learn a little bit about the terms that you hear, like adagio, andante, allegro, forte, piano, um, scherzo, minuet, rondo, all those words, if you see those in there, 
um, in the music that you're going to listen to, you might even look that up, find out a little bit more about it so that when you go hear it for sure, it's gonna be great. Um, another thing about listening is live music is a big deal. And if you spend your whole life listening to recordings, you're really missing out. So I'm gonna give you a reason why I believe this to be super true, especially for orchestral concert band music and uh, music that has a lot of instruments in it. So um, every a speaker has drivers and a driver is the little cone inside that vibrates. And that one little cone is in charge of frequencies. So a three-way speaker will have a little tweeter up top that's in charge of the high frequencies, a middle one that's in charge of the middle frequencies, and then a big one that's in charge of all the low frequencies, right? That one speaker is in charge of doing at least half of an entire orchestra. Now I want you to imagine for a minute now what that would look like in an orchestra. Every orchestra member is their own driver. If you play trumpet, this is your driver, right? You're playing through it. This speaker does only the trumpet sound. It's only in charge of this trumpet sound and this whole thing moves, okay? If you play trombone, maybe not a plastic one like that one, but uh, the, it, it's its own driver. So every single orchestra member is their own audio driver or speaker. And really you can't take all of that and shove it into a little tiny speaker or into a pair of headphones or into, you know, even worse little earbuds. There's just no way to replicate that sound. And, and then there's also the spontaneity of it. No orchestra recording that you've ever heard, unless it says live, um, is sounded that way when they recorded it. They do all kinds of fancy things to make sure that it, it's um, a really good interpretation for the audio world. But most of those conductors that recorded those would tell you that um, that is not a real concert. A real concert is going to live music because part of the experience of a concert is the audience's reaction to what you're doing, the feeling that's in the hall at the moment. There's a little bit of spontaneity to, to it that happens. Plus, like I said, the you know everybody's got their own speaker, so it just feels different. Feels a lot different. So I would encourage you, if you haven't gone to see live music, when we can, you ought to do it. You ought to go out and see all those musicians right now that are posting videos online for you to see and are just desperately waiting to play for a live audience. You ought to go see that. All right, I'm going to wrap this up now. I'm going to turn this into, th this is the band director's desk podcast. So this is about how do we become better musicians. If we're a band director or a, um, a student, how do we either teach our students to be better listeners or better practicers or better performers? And if you're a student, how do you become a better performer? Well, after uh, practicing is the same way as listening to music. It's kind of reversed though. So the first thing you should do when you practice is you should go in perceptive practice mode. You should go through your music and you should learn what all the terms mean. You should learn what um, all, of, all the text says. I remember working with my band once on a piece that had a dedication at the top. And when I learned what the dedication was, all the music made more sense and the students enjoyed the music just from that one name on the top, dedicated to a little quick Google search change the whole piece of music. Um, so learning what everything means, then going through your music and looking at the shapes 
of the music. Like where is it, there are a lot of notes, where are there are few notes, uh, what are the tempo markings, all those kind of things and, 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 and getting a feel for the scope of the piece. Then looking up mu music information about the composer and looking up information about the time period that your music was written in, the style the music was written in, all that can inform your practice. Then, when you're practicing, it's about practicing it so that you can feel the music, the sensual part. You're feeling how the phrases go. You're feeling it, and you're trying to get to the point where you don't have to think about anything technical. Everything becomes effortless, and you're listening to, you're, you're shaping your phrases and everything the way that you had intended. I do have to say something about phrasing and interpretation. This whole practice thing, when you're making your interpretation, there are only two interpretations. There's your interpretation and somebody else's interpretation. That somebody else might be the composer and they might have very strong opinion on how it's to be. But it is important to know that some interpretation is always better than no interpretation. So you don't have to be afraid to come up with your own ideas. And you shouldn't be. And anybody that tells you that your idea is wrong better have a reason to tell you that it's wrong. And they might have a good reason, to be honest. They might know a little bit more about the music than you, but they can't tell you that your interpretation is wrong. They can just tell you that, I think this way is the right way, okay? So some people might disagree with me in that. I'm okay with that. Um, but I do I do really believe that it's it's your way or somebody else's way. And who is somebody else to tell you that you can't do it that way? If you wanna do it that way, do it that way. Hopefully, if you're working with a really good teacher, you can collaborate on those interpretations. But I still encourage you to come up with your own interpretation and not just take your teacher's word for it. Um, us teachers are wrong sometimes. And if you've studied and you know about the piece of music, you might have a great idea and pitch it to your teacher and maybe they'll change their mind or maybe they won't. It doesn't matter. Um, it's just music, right? So. Then the last whole thing is you get to this performance and you almost have to go into casual mode for your performance. The best performances are the ones where you can step out of your body and you can watch yourself perform. It's effortless. You're only thinking about emotion and feeling and uh, maybe you're participating with the audience by paying attention to the sounds in the room and what the audience is doing. And everything that your body is doing, it's kind of doing on its own. And if you think that sounds impossible, you're wrong. You do it all the time. In fact, if you turn right now and you start talking to somebody, you are going to do a lot of the things I just said effortlessly. You are going to move your body in certain ways without thinking about it. In fact, the moment you do, you can realize how awkward that is. Sometimes we do that on our instrument, right? You know, it's like when you run and you look at your feet and then you might trip and fall over your feet. <laughs> um, or it just becomes awkward, right? So you do this all the time. When you talk, you vamp. You just make stuff up and you spew it out and whether it's good or bad, whatever, it comes out of your mouth and um, you do it without thinking. If you plan every word and every gesture that you are going to do, um, your, your speech sounds mechanical. And so really good, you know, actors and speech writers, they practice it so much that it becomes a natural part of the way they speak and the, pre the way that they move and all that, that they don't have to think about those things. And that's what we have to do on our instrument. Okay, so I think that's all I'm gonna talk about today. Um, let me know what you think um, by subscribing, 
clicking the little bell. Um, if you have questions or comments, post them down there and I'll get to them if I see them. And uh, I will see you on the next Band Directors podcast. My name is Joe Radke and I'm out.